The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is brought to you by A Copy Match. A Copy Match is a boutique matchmaking service that helps exceptional singles find meaningful connections and relationships. To learn more about our matchmaking services, online dating makeovers and takeovers, or to enroll in an upcoming group coaching intensive, go to agopymatch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I've combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring a guest on to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. This week's guest is John Berger. John Berger is an award-winning magazine writer and author of two dating books, Datanomics, How Dating Became a Lopsided Numbers Game, which was published in 2015, and Make Your Move, The New Science of Dating and Why Women Are in Charge, published yesterday. It has come out yesterday, so before I finish reading his bio, I want you to click the link in the episode notes and order his book. His book is amazing. He is a former senior writer at Fortune. John has been named to always on networks list of power players and technology business media. He's also a familiar face and video on television, radio, and podcasts with appearances on ABC's Good Morning America, BBC's World Service, Girls Gotta Eat, CNBC, CNN, MSNBC, NPR, and Fox News, discussing topics ranging from dating to investing. He is a graduate of Brown University, and John lives with his family in upstate New York. John, Congratulations. Second book. It's been a while since I last saw you. I mean, I feel like I see all the time because, you know, we're friends on On Facebook. We check in with you. Yeah. So I know what's happening. I know what's going on with your family. I know what's going on with your books, but you and I hung out a lot with Datanomics. Yeah. Back. (laughs) Maybe a year ago, I heard this interview with an author on NPR and he was talking about how every new book is an attempt to fix the mistakes in your old book. And in some ways, um, in some ways, that's what Make Your Move is. I know you like Datanomics and I'm still proud of it, but there are things that I regret in hindsight about the first book in terms of tone and, and, and kind of a lack of hope or solutions. And I really tried to address that in the new book. I mean, okay, so to go back for a second, like one of the reasons why I obviously did like Datanomics is because I'm quoted in it and I'm urging women to move across the country. <laughs> You know, in touching base with you for this interview, you did mention what you just said, that you're trying to right the wrongs. What was an unexpected surprise from Datanomics that you feel like there are wrongs that you need to make right? So Datanomics was kind of more of a pop science book than a self-help book. And I have to admit, I I approached it with this very snooty attitude towards the whole self-help genre. In my mind, I was this kind of Um, high-profile business writer for Fortune magazine. I had no interest in becoming the love doctor. I I thought I was doing writing like the money ball of dating. And I wasn't sensitive to the fact that obviously baseball is just a game, but dating is deeply personal for a lot of the women who are affected by the phenomenons phenomena I was writing about in datanomics, this imbalance between college grad men and women in the dating pool. And I don't think in hindsight, I was like sensitive enough to uh, the plight of these women. I think the tone of the book was a little overly glib. And most of all, kind of, I regret the fact that there wasn't much in terms of hope or solutions. I think in the last chapter, just because my my editor made me do it, I did kind of shoehorn in two or three pages worth of advice. But she really had to force me to do it. My heart wasn't really into it. And it wasn't the emphasis of the book. But as you could probably have predicted and told me ahead of time, um, when once I got out on book tour with Datanomics, I thought the whole knowledge is power thing would be enough. 
but it was to some extent. I mean, women were happy to hear that their problems and their dating woes weren't their fault and it wasn't all in their heads. But the Q and A's would start, and women would still want me to explain to them how to how to fix their love lives, and I didn't have really good ideas for them then. I do and now. Then somehow, I mean, one of the th- yeah, and I can't wait to go through the <laughs> solutions. Like one of the biggest differences that I saw between both books, I have both books at home, is even in your chapter outlines are just really different. Like there's a call to action for each uh, chapter in your new book, Make Your Move. And what I it's like as I was reading it, I kept thinking. Let me just take a step back. One of the things that I love about certain dating books, I don't like all dating books as a dating professional, but like books like yours, especially this one, Make Your Move, or books like Dr. Terry Orbuck, who wrote my favorite relationship book, um, Five Simple Steps to Take Your Marriage from Good to Great. What I love about both of these books is that there is a science-based approach. So you're looking at studies, you're looking at percentages, you're looking at, you know, here is what, here is what's happening And it's not from a place of like, oh, let's all adopt an abundance mindset, which by the way, I think mindset counts for a lot. But I think by having a science-based approach, it kind of goes back to what you said before, like knowledge is power. But now that you have this type of knowledge, what can you do with it? So I want to, I want to give a couple of examples from your book. I want to, I want to talk to you about, okay. So for instance, I think we're going to disagree on something. So I'm really, sure, I'm yeah. really excited about this, but like, okay. okay. So you, in your first book, you're a big propon- proponent of mixed collared dating. So women who maybe have white collar careers dating men who uh, might not be college educated. So I'm going to read an excerpt from your book. Contrary to popular belief, very few college grad men end up marrying secretaries or cocktail waitresses. College-educated men are actually less likely than college grad women to marry someone without a college degree. Among recent newlyweds, 32% of college-educated women married someone with less education than them versus only 20% of college-educated men, according to a 2018 study published in the Annual Review of Sociology. Tell me more about that. (laughs) I I I think there's this popular belief out there, and maybe it has something to do with Hollywood, I'm not sure, that men are really open-minded and they're willing to date anybody. And as long as she's cute, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, if she's a seamstress or a UPS driver or cocktail waitress. Um, whereas the women are the ones who are really fussy and and very choosy. And my the point I, I try to make as kind of a preface to the whole mixed collar dating thing problem isn't that women are choosy. Everybody is choosy. And I'm, I'm guessing you, you and I agree on that. Um, I, I 100% yeah. agree. I see this at work. The more I've noticed, the more I feel like educated a man is all of a sudden it's he's he, the new generation, let's say not necessarily generation X, but definitely millennials and Gen Z now that they're coming up. There is a, you know, it doesn't have to be Ivy, but at least top 35 universities. I do think the onus gets put on the women a lot and the, and you have these married friends and the moms telling the women, oh, you're too picky. Well, the the men are picky too. It's just the problem affects the women more just because there is this imbalance in the dating market. So if a guy is too choosy and is only willing to date white collar women, highly educated women. There's just such a vast supply of fabulous educated women in their 20s and 30s that he he can be choosy and it won't come back to bite him. If a woman does the same thing though and limits her dating pool just to the Ivy Leaguer who works at Goldman Sachs, she's really limiting her dating pool and it's decreasing the odds that she's going to you know, have the happily ever after because the pool of men she's willing to date is so small. And obviously it's unfair as hell that the fussiness, the choosiness only punishes the women, not the men, but that's the world we live in. And so my advice, and this is the one part of Datonomics that I do double down in, uh, in the new book, Make Your Move. And my advice to everybody is to just open your minds, be open to the possibility of dating people from a, from a different background. You, you, you could discover that, that the, in comparison that, you know, doctor or lawyer or 
Wall Street guy that you were dating was kind of a jerk in comparison to the to the plumber or the electrician or the cop who um, you know who you were unwilling to date before. And another thing that I always like to point out is there's this idea out there that if you don't have a college degree, that means you know you're not ambitious or you don't make any money, things like that. I present this as a joke, but it's actually true. I mean, I I guarantee you my plumber makes more money than I do. And he actually shows up at my house often driving his Audi. So I'm I'm 100% sure of this. And given how much I've paid him over the past year, it makes perfect sense. And also your typical blue collar guy, when he, you know, when he enters into a relationship, when he enters into a marriage, he's not carrying with him $50,000 in student loan debt. And you know as well as anyone how much one partner's debt, particularly if it's an outsized amount of debt, how much of a stressor that can be on a new relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and to what you just said, I want to actually read a question I received last week and my answer to it. Someone had asked me during Ask a Matchmaker, is it bad to judge prospects by their job or line of work on apps? And my response to this was yes, because who the f- are you? You don't know a stranger just because he tells you what he does for a living. You can't see his future and shit like that doesn't measure his ambitious or his work ethic, which are two very separate things. They're not even correlated to each other. And that's, that's even something that I try to tell women all the time. Like, you know, there are plenty of men who have high titles. And I, I remember, I recalled this one time where I introduced a woman to someone um, who was a CTO at a major company. No, he has stock options and he plans to stay there for the next 10 years. Like that, you know, he's the CTO. He loves where he works. She judged him for it. She said he lacks ambition. Mind you, he's, you know, maybe making a million and a half a year, you know, stock options. He's, you know, very well respected in his career. And she's, she's measuring. And I know this might sound like nonsense to most of my listeners, but that's just one example of, I could give you many that are, you know, average Joe ones as well. And I love that you mentioned, um, you know, your plumber, I always think about, and I think he listens to this podcast. I always think about the, the guy that fixes our air conditioning unit every summer, because we always have problems in this house and he didn't have any debt. And because he didn't have any debt, because he started his career earlier, he was able to invest and get, um, an apartment, like two apartments that now he rents out. He's a landlord. He, you know, like, you know, I think sometimes we get fixated on what school did he go to? What does he do for a living? When I think about like, he ends work at 5 p.m. He gets to go home. He could probably volunteer. It's what you said in the book. Guys like this, they can coach the little league. Yeah, Uh, They can go for that summer vacation um, for a couple of weeks. You know, they can be more flexible than- No, I mean, mean, just riffing off the little league thing. I mean, I coach- uh, little league baseball, okay. both with and against a lot of these guys, you know, they're, they're cops, they're uh, electricians. Um, I know there's one guy I'm friendly with, he runs a landscaping company, you know, they in this, in this little subculture of travel baseball and little league baseball, you know, a lot of the coaches, uh, you know, are, they're not the lawyers and the doctors, probably because they have more time to uh, to do this kind of thing than the guy, you know, than the corporate lawyer or the Wall Street investment banker does. And I'll, I'll tell you, to a man, these these guys are great. Um, they're great dads. Um, they're uh, they're great husbands. They're great people. And I guarantee you, they're probably more handy around the house than I am. Right. So I, I and they're just good company. And I just um, I you know it always saddens me when, particularly when it comes to online dating, you see women who kind of check off the college box, which means they'll never even, like these guys would never even hit their radar because they've already limited themselves to a narrow group of men. What do you say to the woman? We had a woman call in during the Louis Felix episode about how, you know, college education is really important to her. And I think for a lot of women, College education is important because they equate that as possible intellectual stimulation. What do you say to a woman who, you know, has advanced 
you know, degrees, formal education, um, you know, intellectually challenges herself, who hears this now and says, you know, well, this is advice is not for me. Like I want someone who's at my level. I'm literally repeating what women are currently thinking while listening to this. I want someone who's at my level intellectually. He can understand what I'm saying. He reads the newspaper. Again, these are not, I know, I know, John, I'm looking at your face. These are not yeah. limited, obviously, to a yeah, title. Yeah. I know plenty yeah. of men with PhDs who don't do any of these things, yeah. but. <laughs> no, I, I mean, no, I'm just going to ask you the obvious question. I mean, in your business, how many men um, have you worked with who couldn't carry on a decent conversation and they may have been the best educated people in the world? My clients are amazing. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, okay. okay the, the, the clients who you decided not to take on. You know off. what? I'll, I'll tell you something. Um, uh, my husband used to work at Harvard and I know that means a lot to some people, especially my in-laws, <laughs> right? But I've met some of my husband's former coworkers, not necessarily people who worked with my husband. In fact, I believe the other people that work with my husband are just really brilliant, nice, kind people, but I've met other people in his periphery there. And I'd be like, really? This person works at Harvard? Really? Because it had nothing to do with their intelligence, it had to do with their social uh, intelligence. Yes. And I don't mean socially awkward. I mean, like, no, I don't mean that at all. I can deal with social awkwardness. I'm talking about the lack of self-awareness to the situation, which on any other woman, she could have a PhD from, you know, Princeton. If she was in the car with him on their way to like, you know, Cape Cod, I think she would struggle to speak to him or even listen to a podcast together. Yeah. I mean, my, my brother went to Yale and has a PhD from Berkeley in applied math. And I guarantee no, I mean, he's a, he's a great guy, but I guarantee no woman has ever wanted to have a conversation with him about applied mathematics. Right. Again, you know, I think until I, I look, I believe intellectual compatibility is a really important thing in any relationship. My advice to this, and especially looking at reading your book is that yes, you should totally open if you're a woman listening to this, if you're a straight woman who's seeking, you know, heterosexual relationships and you're listening to this, definitely open up the criteria because, you know, if we're going to now hit the abundance mindset, let yourself be surprised. Like, what is the worst thing that could happen? You go on a fantastic first date. Yeah. And, that, you know, what, what always frustrates me about this conversation is that the women who push back against, you know, my, these suggestions and my advice of like, you know, unchecking the college box, so to speak. Inevitably, they're the same women who have had awful experience after awful experience dating the lawyer or the accountant or the Wall mm -hmm. Street guy. So what, like, I, I don't get what's so great about the educated guys if all you've had is bad experiences with them. Well, the opposite experience. I think the women who um, double down on this which, uh, by the way, if it's that important to you, that's okay. But what I've noticed with the doubling down, it tends to happen with women over 35 who will say stuff like, well, look, I waited this long. Yeah. Now he has to be perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, if I wanted to marry, you know, a handy guy who had his own landscaping business, I could have done that when I was 25. Yeah. What, what, the what, have, I, what have I been waiting this for this long for? Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes perfect sense. And actually the research shows that the older singles get, the pickier they become, which is one reason why I actually kind of encourage people to not delay marriage until 38 or something, because, you know, we, we kind of narrow our, um, our lives, the older we get and what we, what we can live with and can't live without. So I, I just, I think sometimes it's harder to find somebody who's going to mesh with your life when you're right. doing it at age 40, as opposed to when you're doing it at 26. One of, I, I want to move on to another part of your book. When we talk about like what men are looking for their biggest turn-ons. And I'm going to read another excerpt from your book, but before I do that, I want to preface this by saying that a popular quote that I have which by the way, by the time this episode airs, it's probably going to be live, but I have a store of merch and this quote is on a shower curtain and a mouse pad and really? a sweatshirt. Okay. So if you want this as a reminder, you better buy it. But um, I have this quote that's called, it's just the, 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 the motto that I have, which is there's no such thing as intimidating women. There's only men who are intimidated. And here you have this wonderful excerpt that I just love that kind of proves to me that I'm right. And it's, I'm gonna just again, quote it here. 
When Match.com's annual single survey asked men about their biggest turn-ons for 2016, the number one answer was female entrepreneurs. It makes sense, says Helen Fisher, Match's chief scientist. What's an entrepreneur? They're daring, they're creative, they're conscientious. I'm not so sure about the conscientious part, but entrepreneurs definitely know what they want and that men do find attractive. 95% of men want women who ask for men's phone numbers and initiate the first kiss, according to the match survey. Women are, quote, piling into the job market, gaining economically and gaining sexually and socially, end quote, Fisher says. For men, quote, feminism has really made dating easier, safer, and more enjoyable for them. I mean- what and i feel like is that is that is that the inspiration of your of the title of your book make your move actually no the 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 title (laughs) i I suck at book titles and um i I didn't love datanomics as a book title um but i didn't have a better option either my my former agent came up with that one and with this type this book i was really struggling and my friend melanie notkin i don't know if you know melanie she's another i know her yeah melanie came up with it and um, I, if you read the Savianti, right? Savianti, yes, yeah. And if you read the acknowledgments of of Make Your Move, I, I give a big shout out to uh, to She's Melanie. She's awesome. She's she fantastic. Awesome. Um, so, um, so, well, there's no way Melanie didn't read this particular excerpt and just yeah. named your book Make Your Move. You know, I think one of the most popular questions that I do get is how do I get the guy off the internet, or how do I get him to ask me out, and. I always tell people like, stop waiting for him. Just message him. It's okay. Yeah. I I mean, look, I, as you know, from reading the book, I am not a fan of online dating, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm all in favor of, of people taking chances and particularly with young people nowadays, they're so afraid of awkwardness and Mm -hmm. expressing any vulnerability and taking any chances that you end up with these kind of very dry transactional, uh, conversations, particularly on dating apps, um, or at least initially, that in which nobody's really willing to put themselves out there. And I, so to your point, I'm, I'm all in favor of, of putting yourself out there, embracing the vulnerability, embracing the awkwardness. Why don't you like online dating? So yesterday, I was a guest speaker at a college class. Um, I have a friend who's a professor at, at Rollins College in Florida. And the topic was this online dating issue and wh- why I don't like online dating. And during the Q&A, a young woman asked me, well, if you, if you don't want us online dating, how are we supposed to meet people? So I posed a question to the class. I said, okay. Um, and, I, and I turned on kind of the Brady Bunch feature on the, on the Zoom so I could see everybody in the class. So I asked for a raise of hands. I said, how many of you have somebody from your regular real world daily life who you know and like and who you've wondered about dating? There were 30 kids in the class, 30 hands went up. So my take is, okay, if, if there's somebody you already know and like from the real world, why the heck wouldn't you just ask that person out? Why would you spend 10 hours a week on the dating app. And that's, that's the average amount of time these days. Um, Lowered from 11. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually think it's 10.5. So maybe I should be rounding up to, to anyway. Um, why would you do that in order to meet a complete stranger when there's already somebody single who you know and like from the real world? On top of all that, if you look at the studies, the breakup rates for online relationships are higher than kind of the traditional ways I like um, meeting through friends and family. And I kind of put a matchmaker in the friends and family category, uh, you know, meeting at church, meeting at work, meeting at work is my favorite, uh, meeting as neighbors. I you know, disagree the, with you on the work one. Uh, well, yeah, actually, this will be a we'll fun talk conversation. About it. We'll talk yeah, about it, yeah, but keep yeah. going. Yeah. Um, you know, the if you look at the studies, the breakup rates are, are so much lower for those more organic kinds of ways of meeting and the marriage rates um, are lower for the online relationships as well. Now, I I guess I could live with all that, particularly during COVID times. I could live with the lower success rates um, if there wasn't this whole other concern. And that is there was this, and, and I, you know, the 
the, the, the survey just reveals what I think women already know. But Pew Research came out with a survey not so long ago that showed 53% of women consider online dating unsafe. And one fifth of women have been threatened with physical violence while using a dating app. If there was a singles bar where one fifth of the women were being threatened with violence, who would ever go back? I mean, I don't think people would even lay on an operating table if they knew that those were their chances. Now, let me throw in a little bit of a caveat. I'm not opposed to all kinds of online dating. There are actually some niche dating apps that I like a lot. And and I write about them in the book. And I also, look, I'm, I understand that, you know, we're talking in, in the middle of a pandemic and it's, it's a little different right now, but I'm, you know, I, a, a book isn't a magazine article. Like I'm not writing for the here and now I'm not writing about one moment in time. I'm maybe I'm an optimist, but I don't think, you know, life six months from now or a year from now or five years from now is going to be what we're dealing with right now in terms of COVID-19. I'm acknowledging, and I do in the book, that dating it during a pandemic is different, but I still think um, there are better options than using a dating app. I just spoke at a conference called Reboot Fest last week. It was in London. And what did they have me speak on was how to meet people not online when you're stuck at home. I'm speaking at another conference next uh, in two weeks, same thing. So there are people that are, that want to learn, okay, where, if I don't, I don't want to meet someone online, I'm tired of swiping across strangers faces. They're not even human anymore. They're just avatars. Where can I meet quality people during a global pandemic? And one of those things that I do say is like, your friends are your best resources. And um, I'm sure I've said this in the past on a, on a previous episode, but Yes, we're all stuck at home, but you can host a friend of a friend party. Get five of your girlfriends. They all have to bring one guy friend. If you're, this is again for single women who want straight relationships, they all have to invite. We all have one single straight guy friend Yep. that you're not dating. So you're going to make a little Zoom party and you're going to play Pictionary or you're going to do a PowerPoint party. You're going to do something that gets you laughing, get your bottle of wine we do a little paint class together. Um, everyone can, you know, you could do different things. And believe it or not, that is actually a really great way to meet someone right now. I have had, like, I don't know, like last I counted, something like 20 women who have gone into relationships utilizing friend of a friend Zoom parties. Yeah. And the, and the idea, I love the idea of a Zoom party because it's not a one-on-one setup. Um, you no. know, it's, it's more kind of open-ended and, and as you know, as a matchmaker and I'm sure just as a, as a friend of, you know, of single women, you know, it's, there's, there's a double challenge when, when, when somebody asks you, do you know any single men who I might like? There's a double challenge. One, the, there's the obvious one. Well, do I know any single men who I could set her up with? But the, you know, the business challenge for you and the social challenge for somebody who's just doing this as a friend is you don't want to offend your friend or you don't want to offend your client. So I value my relationship with this person more than I do the possibility of them, uh, you know, of, of setting up a relationship. I actually had a scenario like this um, a couple years ago where I thought about, you know, a, a woman I know, someone who was amazing and she she's kind of a... I went to, I went to college with her. Um, you know, she she has an MBA. She kind of looks like a 1950s movie star, even at age 50. She's divorced and asked me for a, for a setup. And I had a guy in mind, but I didn't end up setting her up because he wasn't really in her league looks wise, um, mm-hmm. and he was a little older as well. And even though I kind, you know, he's a he's actually charming. Um, I I didn't do it because. I was so anxious about offending her, but, but your, your zoom idea is great because there's no one-on-one pressure to connect. I've said this a thousand times on this podcast, but like, that's how I met my husband, not through zoom party. No, no, no. (laughs) But, but I, I thought about which of my girlfriends were dating or married to men who were like the kind of people that I'd like to see myself married or dating wasn't a jealousy or envy thing was just like birds of a feather flock together, which who is my future husband friends with? Yeah. And I went to two friends and one of them, I went to her boyfriend. I said, next time you hang out with your friends, you have to invite me. 
that's it. I did not ask him to set me up because he would have just said, I don't have anyone. Or he would say, you know, oh, they live far away. They're not in New York. But the next time I was with his friends, a week later, he calls me. He's like, listen, I'm going out for drinks in Boston tomorrow. Do you want to come? Guess who got on Amtrak 12 hours later, headed to Boston. I met nine of his friends in one night. My husband was in that room. Right. And and the, and the fact that your husband and the other guys, guys there were within your so- social sphere and they, they, there was some accountability with your with your friend, the same way your clients are, are accountable to you. That accountability right. is so important. So you know that even if it's not a romantic match, you know, with whoever was in that at that bar in Boston, right. you knew that that they were going to be reasonable people, right? Less chance of getting ghosted, less yep. chance of flakiness. This just happens across the board whenever you're introduced by a human and not by swiping an avatar. Of course, this is where you and I disagree. I do not, I personally do not like to shit on online dating sites. I think online dating sites are a fantastic tool, especially during a pandemic. Another thing that I I want to talk about today is about this study that you uncover and how it's actually a bad study. Oh, the Trivers one. Yes. Can you talk about about that? One of the things I talk about in the book is pretty much every best-selling dating book that's been written over the past 40 years from the rules and all the kind of sequels to the rules to ignore the guy get the guy Um, basically there have been a million copycat books of the rules uh you know written and all of these books have one thing in common and that is they advocate a very complicated version of play hard to get i agree yeah if you listen to the authors talk about it you know the argument that they make is well this is biology and that men are uh, hardwired to chase and the female imperative in mating is not to pursue the best mate. Rather, it's to be a passive filter of male advances. And you know, I, I don't blame these dating book authors for kind of buying into this because the, the academic, the, uh, the evolutionary biologist who has been pushing this idea and and who has all these acolytes in in the field of evolutionary biology, you know, scholars like David Buss and, and others. This isn't some nobody who came up with the idea. This is Robert Trivers, who um, is widely considered to be the most prominent evolutionary biologist of his generation. So if the most prominent evolutionary biologist of his generation, you know, is pushing this idea that um, biology hardwires men to act one way and women to act another. I get how, how you could kind of be snookered into believing this. Um, so you mentioned so, in the book about his study. He it, well, did well, a fruit fly study. Yeah, well, okay, can I, I just, before I, I get into that, I, I just want to give you a sense though of what, of what kind of a, a human being Robert Trivers is. He may be prominent, but his his prominence is highly problematic. So a couple of years ago, I, I think it's the Journal of Higher Education, one, maybe it was even Reuters. There, there was a, a news site that confronted him about the fact that um, a big chunk of his research funding had come from Jeffrey Epstein, you know, the sex offender financier. When confronted with this, I'm going to read you the quote. This is okay. what he's, this was his explanation, or this was, this is what he said. By the time they're 14 or 15, they're like grown women were 60 years ago. So I don't see these acts as so heinous. So this is the kind of human being that a whole generation of evolutionary biology you know, has been, has kind of grown up around. Okay. Just, I'm not defending him. Yeah. I could understand his point if it was post-war Europe where women were not educated, you know, like look at how much we've grown this past year during a pandemic. Like you add on years here to your, to your like knowledge bubble. Right. I feel like a one month is like equivalent to one year. So we're doing this for 10 months. Yeah. Here we are. And so I look at my grandmother, right. She survived a genocide. So did my father, my grandfather at 15, she got married. To a 30-year-old man. That's what everyone did. This is post-war. Is she a child? Yes. Okay. But, but he's but, trying to use that uh, that example, like Virgin Mary. 
right? Like people who had children oh, young. Oh, you know, I mean, I think, I, I, okay. I, I the hear last 10 saying, years. But, 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 but the, the operative part of this quote is, so I don't see these acts as so heinous. No, no, no. Yeah, what I'm okay, trying, yeah. That's what I'm trying to say yeah. is that I, I could see what he's saying if we were talking about 1940s, post-war, 1920s, post-war, right. you know, if people are right. struggling, people are hungry, whatever. Okay. But, but in today's, like, you know, the women that, first of all, I don't agree with him at all, full stop. But to go to his point, like the women that Jeffrey Epstein abused, A, legally do not have the right to consent, but B, they're very young. You know, we yeah. don't even allow people to rent cars until they turn after until they turn 25 or people to drink until they turn 21 because we know that their hypothalamus is not fully developed to understand the consequences of their decisions. Right. So, but, but let's segue to what you asked about. Right, was sorry. Second. Okay. No, no, okay. I just wanted to put that out there because I wanted to yeah, have some context yeah. of, of what kind of a person Robert Rivers is. Um, and, and actually, And actually, if probably shouldn't be tout, my publisher would kill me if I touted another book while I'm promoting my book. But there is this phenomenal book that Angela Saini, who's a, a science writer in London, that she wrote, the, the title is Inferior. Um, and it's basically a book all about how science has gotten women wrong over the okay. years. And, and she actually interviewed Trivers and she basically chewed him up and spit him out. It was phenomenal. So, but I love okay. it. Okay. 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 So tell so, me what she said. Okay. So there over the past two decades, there've been maybe a half dozen, probably more evo- female evolutionary biologists who have basically debunked a lot of the science that had been accepted as canon with, you know, by male scientists within the field. And I'm talking about scholars like Patricia Gawadi at UCLA, Sarah Hurdy at UC Davis, um, Zomaya Tang-Martinez at University of Missouri. Um, the most interesting case, though, is Patricia Gawadi, the, the UCLA biologist. Her initial area of research involved the mating patterns of eastern bluebirds. Until she came along, the conventional wisdom had been that that bluebirds um, are monogamous, at least during mating season. But what Gawadi found in her research was that the female bluebirds were actually flying away at night to mate with other males um, that were not their primary partner. And you know, and she had kind of genetic data to prove this. And when she presented her science and presented her research. Um, Male, you know, there was one example. The male evolutionary biologists considered the whole thing amateurish. And one guy in particular actually said to her, the bluebirds in your study must have been raped. So she, yeah. she became... I, I don't I don't even want to go there. It's okay. just so it's so stupid. Like I, I don't yeah. Um as you can imagine, she was pretty like frustrated with all this. So she and three colleagues decided to replicate this seminal study um on fruit fly mating that Trivers and a lot of his followers had used to kind of it was like the the the, the seminal bit of research that kind of underlied all these ideas about, about mating. Before we even get into what was wrong with the study, we I think we could probably state the obvious that that it's kind of silly to be drawing conclusions about human mating based on what fruit flies are doing in a petri dish. Um, but that, that that's a whole other thing. So anyway, she in the original study, the, the male fruit flies always initiated mating. Um, you know, the male fruit flies always moved to the females. The females never moved to the males. The original study also claimed that um, female fruit flies were willing to basically share a an alpha male fruit fly um, with other females, and be and supposedly like twenty percent of the males weren't actually mating. Uh, so Guadi redid the the study exactly as it was described in the original um, research, videotaped it you know, did all the genetic research. And what she found is that the original study on which so much of this this science is based was complete bullshit. The female fruit flies moved to the males just as often as the males did to the females. The genetic data didn't didn't support the idea that 20% of the males weren't actually procreating. When the science writer I mentioned, Angela Saini, um, when she confronted Trivers with this, you know, he he kind of hemmed and hawed for a while, but eventually 
he acknowledged, well, Patty, that's how, uh, you know, Patricia Gawati, uh, Patty's a good scientist. I'm sure she's right. Well, if she's right, that means everything that, that you've been saying um, for 30 plus years, you know, is now, you know, up for question. And it's also been, I'm sure, you know, his studies have also been adopted by right, right. policymakers, uh, social engineers, like so many things that, I mean, I guess that's nuts that the peer review studies, and like you mentioned that a lot of the evolutionary corrections came from female scientists. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can't recommend inferior Angela, Angela Saini's book high enough. She, I mean, she really, she really uh, does a phenomenal job digging into all this. I love that this podcast has transitioned into like science gossip. I am here <laughs> for it. The one last thing that I want to talk about before I let you go is tell me why you think it's okay. I know you're a proponent of this. I'm not okay. about office dating. Are you supportive of it? Are yeah, you supportive? Uh, yeah, I love. Yeah, I mean, I think the workplace is the best place to meet a spouse. My brain is about to melt. Okay, now <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I will throw in a caveat. I, I'm talking about finding a life partner. I'm not talking about like a one-time hookup or something like that. The research shows that couples who meet at work get married um, 25 or 30 percent of the time, which is extraordinarily high, and. It's not hard to imagine why workplace couples click. And that's because you already know each other really, really, really well, right? I mean, you already know if your senses of humor, you know, mesh, if you're dishonest or cruel, you know, all those flaws get exposed in the workplace, correct? I mean, I mean you, I mean, people you work with, you know them better than you probably do your own siblings, right? That's Maybe true. Not. Yeah. Um, so, and, and you know, there are a couple stories I tell in the book, these really sweet romantic stories of couples who met at work. And the first date was really, it might as well have been the 20th date because they, they already knew each other so well. They already knew when they were compatible. All it really took was somebody taking a chance, making their move and asking the other one out because everything was already established. Whereas, well, here's, a, here's one way to think about it. Like imagine, you know, like Jim and Pam from The Office. Do you watch The Office or did you watch The Office? Okay. I literally have okay. White and Michael on okay. my bookshelf. There, there you go. Okay. All right. Um, imagine if Jim and Pam had met on an app. I mean- They, they would have never met on an app. Well, but the first date would have been the most boring first date in the history of first dates, right? What would I think have... I don't even think they'd go out on a first date. I think if right. they saw each other on an app, they would swipe each other away. Right. I mean, the I mean, human beings evolved as social animals, and we bond through shared experiences. And there are no kind of the workplace is the perfect kind of you know, Petri dish for this, because there were so many ups and downs in the workplace, you know, so many triumphs, so many lows, so many highs. And you're sharing these with, you know, maybe a half dozen people. Um, I, it's just such a great way to connect. But and I know that this is right, I don't know, I'm, I'm guessing, this is where you're going with it. Particularly nowadays, it's super complicated. And you, like, maybe should I, um, should I tell the Bill Gates story that I write? That I, Go ahead. Is your rationale why you don't like work like workplace dating? Is is it because you there's, know? There's two reasons. Okay, tell me. Tell I me agree first. with everything you're saying. I think you're right. There's a petri dish. You get to get to know someone. You get to put in that foundation of a friendship before actually working. You know, getting it together. I I've said this in a previous episode. I don't think the Jim and Pam model would have worked because they did wait several years before being together. And at that point, your expectations are so high. And I think this is what scares me is that you meet someone at work, you're flirting, you're creating that sexual tension for more than four months. That's it. You're done. Like it's not going, I don't envision it being more than a hookup or someone that you might have a fling with because the expectations have gotten to a point that's so high that it's just, that person's just never going to measure up. The second thing that is troublesome, and I see this as a woman, is, you know, we are in the middle of the Me Too movement. Yeah. That's going to stick around. I think that there is a massive power dynamic at work 
where you don't want women risking their growth in their career over a man, because that's usually who gets punished in some way or another. We're going to agree to disagree on the first one. I know, totally yeah, 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 it's fun. We could, yeah, it's fun to disagree. I love it. Yeah, I love disagreeing yeah. with you, John. Yeah, it never happens, but now it's happening, so it's great. Well, well, well you know, as I as I I know that that you talked about the politics thing before, and I think I mentioned to you once that if my parents didn't have politics to argue over, they'd have nothing to talk about. So, right. so, so I'm, yeah, I, 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 I think disagreements are good. With your first point, I just disagree. The, 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 like I said, there are two different studies I've seen that show that the marriage rate for, um, for couples who meet at work is either 25% or 30%. So I, I, I feel like you know, there is something there. Now, your second point, I think, is a great one. And it's certainly the challenge that, um, that people have to kind of work through if they are going to, to date at work. And there's a, there's a story I tell in the book that involves uh, Bill and Melinda Gates. Bill Gates is the former CEO of, of Microsoft and Melinda Gates, you know, was a kind of a mid-level manager at Microsoft when the two of them started, started dating. So I, I came across this interview that uh, Melinda Gates gave. And one of the questions was, it was how, how did the two of you start dating? And she began her response by saying, oh, it was really sweet. Now, I'm going to tell you the story and you can tell me as a woman whether you think the story is really sweet. Um, they met at a kind of a Microsoft offsite initially. You know, we're talking a bit. And then maybe a week or two later, Bill Gates called her, called her up called out Melinda Gates, the now Melinda Gates, and said, so I was thinking, would you like to go on a date, go out on a date with me maybe two weeks from today? And her initial response was no. She said, no, two weeks from today, I, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, tomorrow, never mind two weeks from today. You're not spontaneous enough for me, so no, hang up the phone. An hour later, Bill Gates called her back and said, is this spontaneous enough for you? And this, and, the, and then she said, okay, went out on a date with him. And this is kind of the sweet story that this is their, you know, their meet cute in her mind. And I actually think Bill Gates is a good guy. And if he were a single man in 2021, as opposed to whatever it was, whenever it was, I, I'm confident he would be behaving differently now than then. But I think you would agree that that's kind of a problematic story, right? Yeah. So point of clarification, he drove to her or he called her after No, an hour? no, no. He, he called her after, he called her an hour. She had already said no. Uh-huh. And then he after, persisted. And then he persisted after she said no and called again. Um, like, you know, I'm guessing a lot of women, even if they had some chemistry and maybe in their in their specific situation, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was different, but how many women, and I think this gets to your point, would be comfortable if their CEO right. asks them out on a date, you say no, and then he calls back an hour later. You would have a meeting with HR the next day. You'd have a crisis yeah. press release coming out. <laughs> yes. Um, and he'd be resigning by noon like this. Right, right. Right. And, but I, you know, as I point out in the book, I actually think some of the tech companies, and I don't know if Microsoft does this as well, but I know that Facebook and Google have what I think is a really smart fraternization policy. And the rule they have is that you can ask anybody out once, but only once. And any, any response that is not a clear yes is a no. So if she says, or he says, you know, I can't tonight, uh, maybe some other time, that's a no. If you ask again, you know, you're, you're gone. I think that's a good policy. Uh, I and love that. That's genius because yeah. you're putting the rules out from the get-go. It's in, I assume, the employee handbook. Yep. And women know, listen, if you want to go out, you have, if you want to go out with this person yes. and you can't tonight, you have to say, Yes, I want to go out. I can't tonight. How about Tuesday? Yep, exactly. Like you, you, yeah. Because everyone knows the rules of the game ahead of time. Oh, that's genius. Oh my gosh. Why isn't every company adopting yeah. this? There are a lot of corporate policies at Google and Facebook that I, you know, I, I kind of crinkle my nose at, but this one is perfect. I mean, it, it, I wonder it really... what company policy the company my husband works at, because I've noticed where my husband works, 
Like, I think my husband's like the only one who does not work with his wife. Everyone <laughs> in his group, their spouses work with them. They're not necessarily in the same group, but they're in the same company. My husband works for a major pharmaceutical company. So I, I, I'm definitely going to like dive into this. I think this is, that's genius. John, thank you so much for coming to Ask a Matchmaker. Are there any major takeaways about make your move that you want to share before we let you go? I mean, there, I mean, what we've talked about are two of the big themes, but there are others. I'm like a big fan of women proposing marriage. I'm a big fan of, of dating younger uh, because I think some of the older guys are so jaded and warped that, that like the younger guys might actually be more marriage material. Um, oh, for women to date. For women to, yeah, for women to wow. date young, younger men. As I mentioned before, I, I, you know, like I had one woman tell me of Datanomics that it was the most depressing dating book she'd ever read or something along those lines. And I, I really tried hard to sort of include a lot more romantic storytelling. And I hope you, you right. kind of felt that as you read along that, that I was, you know, there are a lot of really sweet, wonderful stories that illustrate the advice that, that I'm giving. And I, um, I think it makes the whole book a much more fun read. Or I mean, it is a fun read, but I think it, it makes the book great. Maybe I can put great in the title, but I think the book is great. This was a great, I mean, I really enjoyed reading it and, and you are right. There are different themes in this book that we definitely did not cover today. So for those of you interested in hearing more about make your move and getting or not getting, receiving empowering advice based on science and studies, definitely go to your independent book seller or Amazon and purchase Make Your Move by John Berger. I will have the link in the episode notes for you to click. John, where can people find you if they want to follow you or follow up on social media? So uh, on, on both Twitter and Instagram, I'm John Berger one, and I'm going to spell it just because both of my names are spelled oddly. It's J-O-N-B-I-R-G-E-R, John Berger one, my website, uh, author website is johnberger.com and you can find me there. Um, another thing I always like to mention is that I do these, um, these kind of virtual book club Q and A's. So if you want to read, uh, make your move in your book club, um, you know, you can get more information about the book club Q and A's uh, at johnberger.com. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming to Ask a Matchmaker. Thanks Maria for having me on. And thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. Do you have a dating or relationship question? You can visit askamatchmaker.com to submit your 60-second audio question or written question. I like to take both. You can also follow me on Instagram at matchmakermaria for more dating and relationship tips. Uh, as you know, every Wednesday is Ask a Matchmaker and you know your questions are fantastic. I love answering them. And if you want to have a little bit more fun, you can also follow me on TikTok. I'm at real matchmaker Maria on TikTok. And that is where I review your online dating profiles. Those are, those are fun. Anyway, until then be lovable and more importantly, be likable. See you next week.